If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 3. We want to look at this topic for the next two weeks, healing for believer and non-believer. This morning is part 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. The Holy Spirit now has already fallen. Pentecost has taken place. Not only has the 120 in the upper room been filled to capacity in God's divine power, His dunamis power, when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to empower you. We took this from the book of Acts, chapter 1, and verse 8. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses uh, for me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is a promise. And so now it's taking place. And so this morning through Peter and John, we're going to see a healing take place. Now, after they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, we studied last week, Peter gave his first sermon. 3,000 souls came to know Christ. Saving grace. 3,000, this is the beginning of the church, the ecclesia, of the called out ones. This is the beginning. It has not ceased since. The Holy Spirit is still here. The church, obviously, is still here. If you know church history, Satan has tried desperately uh, to quench the church. He has tried desperately to destroy the church and to no avail. Now, what I see in the United States of America today is a quenching, and people becoming nominal Christians, people becoming secret agent Christians. And yet the Holy Spirit gives us the boldness uh, to reach out to others. The church has not been the same since Pentecost. And so for the last 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit is being poured out. Now, Jesus told the disciples that signs would follow after your salvation. Signs would follow after the Holy Spirit came upon you. I want you to leave a marker there. Go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. This is called the Great Commission. Now, we're accustomed uh, to Matthew chapter 28 and verses 16 through 20. Jesus said, Go ye and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But I wanted to take it from the Gospel of Mark because he speaks about the signs that are going to follow. And so Mark chapter 16, look at verse 14. Jesus is speaking here. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief. Radical when you think about that. And the hardness of their hearts. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen from the dead. Remember back in John uh, chapter 20. Jesus comes to declare himself the risen Christ to the disciples, and the disciples saw him, and they saw the nail prints in his hands and in his feet and his side, the lance. And so Thomas was not there. Jesus comes back eight days later because Thomas says, I will not believe unless I see the nail prints and I touch his side. 
Jesus comes in to the midst of them. This time Thomas is there, stretches out his hands, Thomas. And he's given him the opportunity to touch him. The Bible says Thomas falls to the ground in obeisance, in worship and praise, and he says, Lord. He calls him God, my Lord and my God. And so here's the rebuke. Some were still not believing. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, and here's the great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And then he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Eternal hell for the rejection of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says we are free moral agents. We have choice. I can come to the fork of the road, and I can go right, or I can go left. It's my choice. God leaves that in our camp. And so the same with salvation. It's presented. But I can receive Christ, or I can reject Christ. And so he says, he who believes, and he who is baptized, will be saved, but he who does not believe is going to be condemned. It's eternal hell. And you can never blame God for placing you in hell. You place yourself by the rejection of Christ. But here's the key in verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. Signs and wonders are going to follow those who believe. In my name, you will cast out demons. In my name, you will speak with new tongues. And so the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. And he gives an example. Uh, they will take up serpents in verse 18, and if they drink anything deadly, uh, they will be by no means hurt them. Uh, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Miracles, signs, and wonders are going to follow, especially that you've come to saving grace, and especially that the Spirit of God has fallen upon you. This is what took place at Pentecost. When we get to Acts chapter 28, Paul is gathering some wood for the fire. He's there at Malta, and he reached in to uh, grab some, you know, kindling. And when he did, there was a viper in there, and it latched onto Paul. And there was people there from Malta. They saw that snake. They saw that serpent. It was indigenous to the, to the country there. It was very poisonous. And Paul just looked at it. He said, I'm doing the Lord's work. And he shook it off. And they thought that something miraculous had taken place. It did. God said he will protect us. Now, be careful because you got people in, in the south. And they're snake charmers. And they bring it to the pulpit. They bring it to the church. And, and they dance around with these snakes. And every now and then we'll read about or we'll hear about a pastor that died. Nowhere in Scripture does it say to go drink poison and see what God's going to do. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, you know, there's a pet bull, there's two pet bulls there. Go ahead, go over the fence. God will give you grace. Well, don't be surprised those pet bulls are going to take a chunk out of you. And so if you're doing the Lord's work, he's going to protect you. But if you're looking... To go up to I-25 and say, well, I'm doing the Lord's work, and you stand in front of an 18-wheeler uh, coming 70, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. We're not to tempt the Lord. 
And so miracle signs and wonders are going to follow. And so now we see Peter and we see John, and they're going up to the temple. Listen, they're going up for prayer. They're not going up for sacrifice. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus has become now the complete sacrifice, the complete high priest. And yet there were still those going to temple to sacrifice. But Peter and John went to the temple to pray. In the process, they run into this lame man. And God obviously wants to do a work. And Peter and John, they reach out. As the Holy Spirit, I believe, gave them the utterance. And so let's go to Acts chapter uh, 3. Look at verse 1 now. And dealing with a lame man that's healed. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was called the ninth hour. The ninth hour was about 3 p.m., a time for prayer in the temple. Peter and John, Galilean fishermen, apostles of Jesus Christ, disciples, followers of Christ. They were with Jesus for three and a half years span. Now they're filled with the Spirit. They're moving in the Spirit. They're never the same after this. And yet, remember Peter, he denied the Lord three times. Yet God restored him, and now he's using him mightily. And church, as we read these scriptures, you say, well, that's Peter. He was a pillar of the church. If God used Peter, he can use me. If God uses Peter, he can use you. We come to church. We receive Christ. We learn of his word. The same spirit that fell upon Peter is the same spirit that falls upon you. Miracles, signs, and wonders will follow. Those of you that have been part of the church here for a time, we've seen God heal. We've seen God bring forth healing. We've seen miracles. You say, Pastor Bob, come on. Listen, those of you that are saved this morning, you're a miracle of God. You are a miracle of God. Salvation is of the Lord. I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. And so we come to saving grace. What's the proof that a miracle has taken place in my life? A, a changed life. A changed life. God takes care of the alcoholic. He takes care of the drug addict. He takes care of the sexual whoremonger. Whatever it might be. The liar. Whatever the sin nature. Uh, the, the one that's a thief. Well, I, I don't steal that much, Pastor Bob. I take a few things from work. But everybody needs paper clips. That's stealing. God changes your life. When Mary and I came to Saving Grace, I hate to admit this, but we used to cheat on our income tax like crazy. We had a guy, we should have known better. Our tax man drove a beautiful car, and guess where his office was? He had a trailer behind that car, and the trailer was always hooked up. I didn't think anything of it. And so next year, you got to call and find out where he's going to be parked. But he would get you tons of money. And we didn't care that, you know, he had the trailer hooked up. We didn't care that it was some of the things that he put on the paper was illegal. And some of the things were lies. All we wanted was the money. 
And all of our families were involved. That's how we got started. Well, Mary and I come to Saving Grace. We stopped everything that we were doing. You know that all of my relatives were audited? They were all called on the carpet. And I'll tell you what, we went to see a Christian a tax man. And he said, Pastor Bob, well, I wasn't a pastor. Then he goes, Bob, there's nothing you can do. Just wait on the Lord. And for seven years, we waited. And my family, they would come up. How come they haven't called you in? And I would just point to heaven. <laughs> they didn't like that. Now, if the tax man gets this, I might be in trouble again. But I want you to see that signs and wonders are part of the church. And look at verse 2 now. He says, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb. So he was born with this. And was cried out or was carried, excuse me, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called the gate beautiful. And I'm going to do some background on this beautiful gate. Uh, to ask alms from those who entered uh, the temple. Very customary at this time because of the Old Testament. Uh, the blind, the deaf, the lame, uh, they would come to the temple asking for alms. They were asking for charity. They were asking for help. And as you came in, like Peter and John to the temple, uh, generally uh, you gave money to the treasury of the temple. Then you would give money to the poor. It, it was part of the Levitical law. And so imagine as they come in now, uh, they notice someone uh, carried this lame man uh, to the temple daily. This would have been his friends or his family. And they laid him at one of the, the many gates that uh, allowed you to enter the temple. This one particular gate is called the East Gate or the Gate Beautiful. Uh, listen to some description here. Uh, Josephus, the historian, says that the gate is one of the biggest and one of the most beautiful there and coming into the temple. It's called the Golden Gate also. The scholars believe, now stay with me on this, scholars believe this Jesus will enter this gate in his second coming at the conclusion of the seven years of tribulation. Now, I want you to do a study in Ezekiel chapter 43. It's amazing how it tells you that this is exactly what's going to take place. Now, Josephus goes on explaining this beautiful gate, beautiful, uh, this gate, the golden gate, it was also called. It was made of a fine Corinthian brass overlaid with gold. It was considered 75 feet high with huge double doors, uh, so beautiful that it excelled greater than all the other uh, gates in the temple. And on your own, do a study on the gates of the temple. Because there were so many changes uh, through the centuries, at least nine gates, and then sometimes there's 12 gates. But this gate beautiful, this golden gate, this eastern gate, that is still there today and it is sealed but that Jesus is going to come right through it. Now, we're going to see this lame man healed. But when we study next week, in Acts chapter 4, there's accusations by the Sanhedrin. 
In Acts chapter 4, verse 22, it tells us that he was over 40 years old. And so every day or every chance, his family would come. And he was traditionally there for the money, the personal gain. And let's see what Peter and John do here now. In verse 3, who's seen Peter and John, speaking about the lame man, about to go into the temple, ask for the alms. That's what his job was, basically. Daily, his friends, his family, uh, they brought him to the temple, and the purpose was to gather alms as the people came in. You see them today in Israel. We have to be very careful because they'll come up to you, and they will ask. It's happening over here at Albertson. Saturday, I knew I was going to get tapped by a guy. He was looking at me. He saw me in the car. My wife's in, inside the store, and I'm going to you know, tell, send him to the church. We have a pantry, and I said, I'll pray for you. But just then, uh, the vehicle in front of me was a Border Patrol agent. And he gets out and puts his gear on, and there's his weapon. And this guy turns around, and I felt like rolling down the window. Hey, come on, hit me up now. Oh, he didn't want nothing to do with that Border Patrol agent in the vicinity. And be careful with those that have a, an empty gas container. They'll tell you the same story. Please be careful. In fact... I've followed them to the gas station, and I'll tell them, let me put gas in your vehicle. Oh, no, 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 that's okay. Just give me the money. I'll put the gas in. They're charlatans, so be careful. And so here's this lame man. He's not a charlatan. This is part of the Levitical law. He would stand or sit at the gate, whatever, lay them down sometimes, and they would gather funds. I mean, this was their finances. And so he's standing at, at the entrance of this gate beautiful. Now, when you go to Israel, uh, we're at the Mount of Olives, and you have to go down the Mount of Olives. It's a very uh, steep street there. And then you level off. There's a huge cemetery on our left. And then you begin to go up to Jerusalem. And you study all the Psalms, especially the Psalms of Ascent. They always were going up to Jerusalem. But as you're coming down, you can see this eastern gate. You can see this golden gate, the gate, beautiful. It's in a beautiful arch, but it's been sealed. The Arabs own it. The Muslims own it, basically. They have sealed it. It's cemented. And... That parcel of land is theirs. They have placed the cemetery plots there. And according to the Levitical law, Jews not to step on a dead body. And so when we go down and you see the cemetery, their plots are up. They're up. And so you can't step on them. And so I find that interesting because Ezekiel chapter 43, as I shared, Study that, Messiah is going to go right through that gate. Does he need to walk through that gate and step over uh, the cemetery plots? No, he's the Messiah. He'll fly right through it. Well, wait a minute, it's sealed. So what? It's going to be unsealed because he needs to go there. 
How interesting. If you study Zechariah chapter 14, Jesus is going to, when he returns, he'll stand on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will split in two. The water is going to flow, listen, to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea will come back to life. They call it the Dead Sea for a reason. It's dead. It has so much salt, you cannot sink. But you don't want to get that salt in your eye. You don't want to get that salt water in your mouth. It's horrible. But it's very good for the skin. And so the ladies love it. The guys love it. They go in there and they go, wow, taking all the bugs out of me. <laughs> but it's going to have fresh water. All these things about this beautiful gate. Look at verse 4 too, uh, now. And fixing his eyes on him, this lame man, with John and Peter. And they said, look at us. Look over here. We're not going to give you any money. That's what they're setting them up for. Look at us. And so Peter and John fixed their eyes on this lame man. And then Peter says, look at us. Why does he say that? Because they had uh, more than money, more than financial gain. Listen, to give this lame man. The lame man was correct in expecting to receive financial gain from them. He's always done this. But he would receive much more than financial gain. That's all he wanted was a little loose change. I think sometimes we limit ourselves. What we want from God. What we're praying. What we're asking from God. There's a tremendous lesson here. Many of us haven't come to the place where we really expect something from God. We expect a miracle from God. This is where our true faith comes in. Faith that moves mountains. Faith that's like a child's faith. Faith like a mustard seed. This lame man was expecting the wrong thing. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Bob. He's looking for finances. You said this is his job. He knows the Levitical law. They're going to sustain him. But he should have been seeking more. And so the expectations are going to get even better. Sometimes we just care about the financial gain. We should expect the right thing from God, not the wrong thing from God. The money could be there. The money could not be there. And he'll come back again and again and again. He needs to pray and we need to pray when we ask God's will. God's will. We're so often ready to settle for much less than God wants to give us. And we have low expectation. We often, listen to me, we often rob ourselves. I want you to mark the scripture down. You know it. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus is speaking about prayer. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know, there are pastors, there are churches that tell you, you just have to pray once. Well, my Bible says be persistent. Be persistent. Our four girls knew how to get anything out of dad. Persistence. Oh, Dad, I love you, Dad. Oh, Dad, you lost weight, Dad. You know, they'll butter you up. 
Well, God wants to hear from us. I don't make deals with God, but God wants to hear. He wants to hear from us. Are we asking? Are we seeking? Are we truly knocking on his chamber door? Are we persistent? Or do we quit? Do we quit? Some of you know this. We prayed for my sister that was living with her boyfriend at the time, Carlos, for 28 years. 28 years. And then one day we get a phone call. Hey, your sister and I want to get married. Would you come down and do it? I said, I'll be there in 12 hours. You have to be persistent. Now they're doing great. They're going to church. God is good. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 11. There's a beautiful story here of the man that was persistent. And I think sometimes when we, we, we seem to get a no or we seem to get a closed door, it seems like, well, I guess nothing's going to happen. Are you persistent? Perseverance is a gift from God. I'm not pestering God, but I'm persevering. In the time of the Old Testament, uh, the high priest would go in and they would put the blood of the lamb on the horns of the altar. And they would sometimes grab a hold of that horn uh, with the two hands and then uh, they would pray. And they would not let go until God did something. It's called praying through. And so look at Luke chapter 11. Look at verse 5 with me. A friend comes at midnight. Jesus is teaching on prayer. If you go up ahead and, and read the context in verse 5, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, I want you to remember, this is late at night. He's already done for the, for the night. He's already in bed with his children. Look at verse 7. And he will answer from within, and he would say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. That's a... Middle Eastern custom. I cannot rise and give to you. But look at verse 8. Here's the persistency. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Are we persistent when we pray? Am I truly uh, Asking, uh, seeking, and knocking. And there in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, the way the Greek grammar is set up, and I'm no Greek theologian in any way. These are all in my books that I study. It's the principle there is keep asking. Keep asking. And the principle there is keep knocking. Don't give up. This is the, the beautiful story here. Uh, the, the man persevered. He goes, they're here. I, I need the bread. Please. And he eventually has to get up. And so that's what we need to do. We have to seek God. We have to ask God. And we have to keep knocking. And when I'm seeking, asking, and knocking, 
I'm asking his will. I'm asking his will. Okay, Lord, I bought a lottery ticket. Come on. I'm asking, seeking, and knocking. Did you pray? Is that God's will? You won't pray that's God's will because you know he's not going to give it to you. Because if he did, we'd never see you again. You're gone. Money does something to people. But what about the salvation of a loved one? And so the perseverance. And so here's Peter and John. Now, let's go back to our text. and Look at verse 5. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive a something from them. I like that. The custom at the time for all who entered the temple uh, to carry some kind of uh, monetary system, some kind of money, that is, uh, mammon, they would have money on them. They would give to the treasury of the temple as they walked into the temple, and they would give to the poor. That was your call according uh, to the Levitical law. For this reason, families brought uh, the lame man, laid him at the gate beautiful of the temple, most likely the place where he did pretty good. When we were at the Mount of Olives and there was a panhandler there, and as we descended and then we walk across and we went up, there was a lame man. And you, he was pretty off. I mean, he had himself a cane, and it was tough, but this, this thing was steep. Well, once our group took off, he was down at the bottom of the hill. And I said, how did he get there? Well, his friends took him down in the vehicle. And he waits for it to tap you again at the bottom. Charlatans. And so imagine this guy. He wants financial gain. But Peter and John had another purpose. I believe the Spirit of God had spoken to them. Look at, look at verse 6 with me. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I love that Peter prays in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Uh, just like here in our communities, uh, there's a lot of Jesuses, right? There's a lot of Jesuses. And, and so in the time of the Middle East, pretty much everybody was named Jesus, and pretty much the women were all named Mary. And so when you pray, pray in Jesus' name, Jesus of Nazareth. Peter said, here in verse 6, Silver and gold, financial gain, in other words, I do not have, but what I do have, I can give to you. Peter is saying, what I do have is Christ. What I do have is Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I want you to listen to the New Living Translation. I like the way it brings it forth in verse 6. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Peter and John did not have any money with them, but he did have authority from Jesus to heal the sick. What I do have, 
I give to you. Peter knew what it was like to have God use him to heal others because Jesus had trained him and trained the disciples. Now, leave a marker there. Go with me to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Jesus is sending out of the 12. Now, when people come up to you, and I'm not going to tell you what to do. Sometimes I do give them a little pocket change. Sometimes I sense the Spirit of the Lord saying that. Other times I say, I'd like to pray for you. Other times I invite them to come to the church and, you know, our pantry's full. We'll give you something. And nine out of ten times they, they don't want to come. They want it now. They don't even want. I've gone and saw them in the corner, and they, got, they have the sign asking for food. And so I've gone to McDonald's and bought a couple of burgers and brought it back. They really don't want it. They want the finances. But Peter has already been trained. But now the Spirit of the Lord is in him. That much more. Look at Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 1. The caption of my Bible says, sending out the 12. Sending out the 12. In verse 1, then he called his 12 disciples uh, together and gave them power. Gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And yet Acts chapter 2 hadn't fallen yet. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staff nor bag nor bread nor money. And then he says, do not even have two tunics. Don't even take a change of clothes. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whosoever will not receive you, listen, when you go out of that city, shake off uh, the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. They don't want to hear the gospel. Don't press it. Kick off the dust and then say, God bless you. See you later. You did what you were supposed to do. Look at verse 6. So they departed and they went through the towns and they preached the gospel and healing everywhere. I like that. Healing everywhere. Listen. Jesus had a threefold ministry. Very interesting. Jesus had a threefold ministry. It's still the same today. Number one, preaching. Number two, teaching. And number three, healing. Preaching is for the non believer. How do you think we came to Christ? Somebody preached to me. Secondly, once I come to saving grace, I need to be taught. And that's what I'm doing here this morning. And because it's a church service, because it's a Sunday morning, you will have mixed multitudes in the church. And so it's always a combination of preaching and teaching. But listen to the third fold of Jesus' ministry. Preaching, teaching, healing. Healing is a benefit, listen, to believers and to non-believers. To believers and non-believers. Many times Jesus healed the non-believer. It's what brought them to Christ. When the ten lepers were healed, the Bible says one leper came back. The other nine never came back for salvation. They took the healing and they ran. 
Jesus wants to heal us from our infirmities, our maladies, whatever it might be, and to use us for his glory. And so, verse 6 again, they departed, and they went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere as the Holy Spirit led them. And now even more with Pentecost already taking place. Let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 7. And he took him by the right hand, this lame man, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately, listen to this, his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Received strength. Now, let me give you some insight here. Remember that Luke uh, is the writer of the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit led him. But also remember that Luke is a physician. And so when there would be healings, Luke describes uh, the feet, the ankles, going back uh, into place. I suggest that they were... uh, (laughs) The ankle bones and such were popping back uh, into place, afresh and anew, right before their eyes. Listen, right before their ears. God is at work. If you've never heard the testimony of Pastor Mike McIntosh, Horizon Christian Fellowship out of San Diego, he was with Pastor Chuck back in the early days. He was one of the first disciples with others. And uh, Mike had done so many drugs. And he had a mind that was working for him. He was ready to go to college. But back in the 60s, Timothy Leary was just spreading his gospel. And Mike McIntosh cooked his brain. That's what the doctors told him. He came to Saving Grace, and one night at one of the services, Pastor Chuck had called people to come forward for healing, and Mike says, what do I have to lose? He received Christ, Christ begins to change his life, and Mike goes up, and as he was anointed with oil, he lifted up his hands, and he was praying, Uh, they laid hands on him, he said he heard popping in his own brain. Now, Mike knows what he went through. You don't believe it, you have to argue with him. He went back to the doctor because from that night on, things were different. Doctor went back, they did scans on him again, and they have, you know, the x-rays they're showing before and after. He goes, no, the doctor says, you can't grow these back but yet they were here in the new pictures. God can restore what the canker worm has stolen. This lame man was healed. His ankle bones, his feet, you know, the hands, and I mean, everything's popping back into place. Uh, Look at the joy of the Lord in this man now. In verse 8, so he... Leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them. Walking, leaping, and praising God. How are you going to deny this man? As soon as he was healed, the previously lame man did three good things. Listen to them. Here in verse 8, number 1, he attached himself to the apostles. 
He entered the temple with them. Secondly, he immediately started to use what God had given him, walking and leaping. And let's throw a few cartwheels in there. This guy was a happy camper. Look at point three. He began to praise and to worship God, praising God. Now, you have to ask the question, was he praising God knowingly or unknowingly? Because there's excitement in the air. It doesn't matter because he eventually learns that it is God and that he's praising God. He's praising the Lord. You know, some pastors will tell you, and I'm in agreement, do you praise God before the healing or do you praise God after the healing? Lord, I'm going to praise you now because I know you're going to do something. I've seen God heal my body. I've seen God heal some of you. And sometimes it happens at the service, and sometimes it happens later. But God will touch your body. Give it to him. Now, Pastor Bob, but some of the people in our church have cancer, and then we prayed, and they died. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. They still won. Think about it. Yes, we wanted them healed, and we wanted them here on this earth with us, but God had another plan. Lord, what is it that you want from me? Lord, what is it that you want from me? And so I want you to see this man. He was praising God. He was leaping for joy. In verse 9, and all the people saw him. What a witness. What a testimony. All the people saw him walking and praising God. Immediately, the previously lame man from birth, he becomes a celebrity. Why? They knew him. They knew him. Why? Because the people who frequented the temple, as Peter and John and others, and some that would have been there daily, others still maybe reeling from the Feast of Pentecost, they knew who this guy was. They knew something took place. His healing was a testimony. His healing was a witness. Remember the verse we read, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. This previously lame man from his birth was a huge witness. He was telling everybody. And besides saying anything in his worship and praise of God, they, were see, they could see him. Hey, that's that guy. Creatures of habit, he probably was laid at the same spot at the entrance of that, you know, beautiful gate. Wasn't he the guy? Yep. It, he's jumping around. I'm believing that his ankles would have been turned in. And they could see the melody. They knew. And now they're popped out and he's walking and praising God. What a witness. What a testimony. Look at the conclusion now. In verse 10. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the gate beautiful of the temple. And they were filled, listen, curiosity, obviously. They were filled with wonder. They were filled with amazement in what had happened to him. The news travels fast. That's him. Are you sure? That's him. Jesus often healed the blind. 
Jesus often healed the deaf. Jesus often healed the lame like here. Jesus sometimes brought the dead from their grave. Lazarus, come forth. Verse 10, I, I love the Amplified Bible, and I love the New Living Translation, and I'm going to read both of them here in verse 10. Verse 10, the Amplified, and they recognized him as the man who usually sat begging for alms at the gate beautiful of the temple, and they were filled with wonder. They were filled with amazement. Uh, the translation that the Amplified said, uh, they were in bewilderment. They were in consternation. Consternation is a 50-cent word. and They were seeing something unbelievable, something unexpected. Something took place. You cannot deny it. Others from other cities would say, yeah, you know, we heard about it. But these guys saw it. They saw it with their own eyes. Uh, look at the New Living Translation, verse 10. And when they realized he was the lame beggar, they had seen so often at the gate beautiful, uh, they were absolutely astounded. Absolutely astounded. They were in awe. Wow. We've seen this guy for years. And the same with you. When you come to saving grace, if change has taken place in your life, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if a man, if a woman is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. The old man stays behind. The old woman stays behind. There's a new Bob. There's a new Bob. There has to be a new person. Fill in the blank, your name. You should not be the same. Change, transformation. You did drugs, no more. You did alcohol, no more. You stole, no more. You were a fornicator, an adulterer, or an adulteress, no more. There has to be change. I've shared this many times with you. Besides my alcohol and besides, you know, the sale of drugs, there was another thing that really bothered me, and that was cursing. And I asked God, take it away. I had led a double life. I did not curse at home because of my wife and my daughters. But at work, let it go. And people begin to see you. They begin to see your life. People were coming up to me. And saying, hey, Bob, we heard you're not drinking anymore. Nope, I'm not. We heard you're not selling drugs anymore. No, I'm not. We haven't heard you curse when you come to fix my machine. I says, and I hope to God you're not going to hear me curse anymore. Only God can take these things away. And so our witness, our testimony. Remember, this is part one concerning healing. Healing is for the believer, and healing is for the non-believer. Again, Jesus' threefold ministry, preaching, teaching, and healing. And this morning, if preaching has been part of your life, and you haven't come to Christ, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day of your salvation. Now, you're a Christian, you're a believer, 
You're asking God, you're seeking God for a physical healing. You have to believe by faith. You have to believe by faith. Let's all stand. We're going to end in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. We thank you for your word that will not come back void. And Father, we pray this morning, if there's anybody here that has not made a commitment to Christ and you'd like to make that commitment this morning, I just want to say a simple prayer of faith with you. If that's you, raise your hand real quick and I'll say a prayer. Anybody here would like to receive Christ? Then if we are all Christian, let me ask the second question. Maybe you're here and you're in a backslidden condition. You need to get right with God. Not here to judge you in any way, shape, or form. But if you'd like to get right with God, you'd like to rededicate that life, raise your hand real quick, and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here uh, this morning? Praise the Lord. Then let's concentrate on the healing this morning. If you've come and you have a melody in your body of some type, even the simplest cold, or the doctors have diagnosed that you have cancer. It doesn't matter to God. And it doesn't matter to me either. But it matters to your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Childlike faith, mustard seed faith, faith that can move mountains. And so I want you to believe by faith. Father, there might be those here this morning that are looking for a physical healing. And we ask you, Lord, to heal them. We ask you, Lord, uh, to touch them. We're asking, we're seeking, and we're knocking. And, Lord, we lay these at the foot of the cross, believing and trusting in you by faith. Bring your healing touch, as you did, uh, to this lame man. And maybe our healing is not as drastic as this lame man, but it's still that I need a healing. Lord, touch our bodies. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are God, our healer. A touch of those that are seeking you for a healing this morning. In Jesus' name. Father, we pray for the offerings. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.